0: This week on A Lively Experiment, a presidential race that was a lot closer than the polls projected again. And the main event in Rhode Island that turned out to be an unexpected blowout, setting off a scramble for
1: power at the State House.
2: A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by.
1: For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Here to break it down for us Scott McKay from the
0: Public's Radio, Republican strategist Lisa Pelosi, and former state representative Mike Marcello. Hello, everyone. I'm Jim Hummel. What a week it has been as Donald Trump and Joe Biden slug it out state by state. We will have much more on that a little bit later in the program. But first, it is the first time in a century a sitting speaker in Rhode Island has lost a race in his home district, and it wasn't even close. Nick Mattiello was crushed by Barbara Ann Fenton Fung, and that leaves a lot of questions for the short term and then for the long term as we head into the New session in January. Mike Marcello, let me begin with you. Six years ago, you were in the hunt to uh, become speaker. I know you ultimately lost to uh, Nick Mattiello. I wonder when the phone calls began uh, with potential. We think Joe Sicarchi is going to be it, but when do those phone calls begin to begin to line up support?
1: Probably at 9.01, <laughs> <laughs> the phone would start ringing immediately. If not, the, the speed dial was already programmed in at 8.59, so the calls started to be made, uh, absolutely. So, um, you know, this was uh, people uh, were anticipating, I think, uh, a change. Uh, the, the race had been uh, the premier race in Rhode Island, and uh, I'm sure the calls started immediately after.
0: Were you surprised by the margin?
1: Yes, I was. Um, but I think what happened, you know, there was just a ca- cavalcade or cascade of, of issues re- regarding that race. You know, the trial that just finished, uh, the journal did a, the Provincial journal did a great story on the uh, political scene regarding, you know, what actually went on during the campaign, the emails, the hiring of a PI of putting a camera across the street, uh, from, a, from the opponent's home. That's just, I mean, that's just politics at, at its worst in Rhode Island, and I think people just kind of revolted against that, and there was nothing that the speaker could have done to, um, you know, overcome that. It was just too much. Uh, it was a drip, 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 drip over the last six years, and I think the people of the district finally said, "You know what? We may be giving up someone more powerful to uh, the powerful seat as the speaker, but uh, we need to send a message that this kind of politics in Rhode Island is just not going to be accepted, and let's give someone else a, a, a chance." And of course. Alan Fung, uh, who was a very popular mayor, you know, did, uh, obviously helped the helped the race a lot. Um, so I, you know, obviously it's a, it was a fair win, and uh, it, it will be a sea change in Rhode Island. Absolutely, well,
0: Lisa. It was beyond a blowout. I mean, it was an 18-point win. Were you surprised by that margin?
3: Um, I was surprised at the the extent of what that she won. I wasn't surprised that she won. Um, but, you know, everything that Mike just said, you know, it was a death uh, by a thousand cuts. It started a number of years ago with the first Steve Fryes race in, the, in what, um, the speaker winning just by mail ballots. Then what we saw with the Jeff Britt, his work in the General Assembly, his lack of work in the General Assembly this year, not bringing um, the members back to deal with a number of very pressing issues. So I think everything built up to it. And absolutely putting her name w- with Fong, on the end of it, and the mayor is still so popular. He was knocking on doors. They were out there every single day, going door to door, uh, talking to people, and he was doing introductions. So I think he was a, you know, a significant factor in her winning this race.
0: She was quoted as saying, fung times will continue. Uh, I'm gonna have a lot of puns over the next uh, couple of years. Scott, give me the historical perspective on this.
2: Well, you know, I think what my comrades here have said is correct. Speaker John Harwood used to say, because everything with him, as you know, was a hockey metaphor. He'd say, you only got so many hits in you. And Mattiello just kept taking the hits one after another. He seemed to frost everybody. The unions, uh, the Paw Sox fans. I mean, he just made so many enemies. And then this brick trial came out with all this bizarre stuff. And frankly, you know, Barbara Ann really worked very, very hard. I will give her a lot of credit for being out there all the time with her husband, again, popular, outgoing mayor. And I think there was also an undercurrent of people being upset with the fact that the speaker basically shut down the assembly during the COVID-19 virus pandemic that we've seen, and the state doesn't have a budget. Well, there's been virtually no oversight of some of Governor Raimondo's ways of dealing with this, the lockdowns, the restrictions and so forth. And I think people were also upset
1: with that. So Lisa, go ahead. I also think it's important to know that that's a Republican district. I used to represent the district, you know, next door to that. that's, you know, that leans Republican. Uh, So it was only a a matter of time that, that, you know, district kind of went back to its roots again, you know, I used to represent the district next door to Nick Mattiello and, you know, it's, it, you know, Weston Cranston is Republican. I had a, one, one district, one precinct of mine was Western Cranston. And, and when the national, you know, with the Trump on the ticket that, that drove out people. Plus, you know, we had a very a tough mayor's race in, in, uh, in Cranston as well. So um, that drove the Republicans out. And I think that's what probably led to our 18 point margin as well. Yeah. Once you get west of
2: 295 in Cranston, it gets pretty conservative.
1: Yeah, and so, Lisa,
0: I wonder, going forward, the the main question is, you got this budget that's in a shambles right now, and when that's going to be decided. Plus, Nick Mattiello is is the the architect of the car tax, and so you wonder now, and he said, as long as I'm speaker, that's going to stay. You wonder whether that disappears in a sea of red ink.
3: Well, you know, we've been waiting for Congress to act. I think the General Assembly just kept waiting and waiting, waiting and pushing it off, saying, you know, they're going to come through with another round of funding for the state. And we didn't see that happen. Plus, we were waiting to see that the first round of money that we did get, would there be more flexibility with it? Could we use it for um, items to plug in the budget? And we haven't gotten that type of flexibility yet either. So, you know there is a tough hole to row right now we don't have the champion of the car tax anymore I didn't know how you could you know fill this budget without um, pushing back on the car tax but with Nick Mattiello there I thought okay he's adamant about it so where else will the money come so I think we'll start seeing people coming forward and saying we need to slow out the phase out of the car tax
1: Go I, on, also, I also think it would be impossible for the, this this rump, basically the rump General Assembly right now to c- come in and pass the budget. They're going to have to wait till January. Th- th- with the with, with the change in the speakership going on, th- there'll be no way to control that room. So they're going to wait till they get a, a, a solid speaker in there, uh, a new speaker. I, 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 the hope of the General Assembly coming back after the, uh, you know, at any time in between now and Christmas or January 2nd is, is probably not going to happen. I think they look
2: foolish, though. People have seen... The private industry, we see town and city councils around the state meeting remotely and doing their work. And all of a sudden, you know, at the Smith Hill, the whole crowd said, oh, shut down. We can't go near it. We got to It was all done for politics. And I think people know it. They right. just did not want to make any tough decisions before the election. I think Matty all thought that would help him get reelected. And well, there's just a bet that he lost. Hey, so, Mike,
0: you know the players as well as anybody there. Let's assume it's going to be Joe Sakarchi. It looks like he's lining up the vote. We're taping this on a Thursday morning. They're caucusing tonight. Let's talk about what what it will look like uh, be, between a speaker, Mattiello, and a potentially a, a speaker, Sakarchi. It goes a little bit to the left but maybe not as much as some people are worried with this progressive flank coming in. So
1: what is your view on that? I don't see Joe as an ideologue. I think he's a very practical person. He's a a solution-oriented. He's very, you know, collaborative. Uh, He was a very, you know, popular majority leader. He was popular when I was there as just a member of the House, Uh, you know, a worker. I think he was chair of Labor when I was there for a bit. So Joe, you know, Joe doesn't really come with an ideological bent. I think he's, you know, very, you know, he does want to have obviously improve the economy hes very close to the building trade industries and, and whatnot very close to the governor which will be a lot different I mean the Mattiello and the governor did not get along there's no secret in that uh, Joe ran the governor's uh, campaign for treasurer I believe so there's a there's a there'll be more collaboration there I think which will be helpful um, I think from all perspectives uh, what I'm hearing is that Chris Blazajewski, uh is the will be the majority leader uh, a very bright you know, young person a Harvard educated lawyer he actually was my choice for majority leader when I my, my failed run for speaker. He does bring the you know the backing of the progressives with him, but he's also very practical. He knows, uh, you know, he knows that there's not a lot of money out there. The hard choices need to be made. What I'm hoping for, from my perspective, is I think both of these individuals, uh, particularly Joe, but also Chris, uh, if if they have the votes, and I think they probably do, um, is that you know we'll probably get some rules reform. We're going to get some more decentralization of power in the House, and I think that's what people are are. are uh, waiting for, you know, uh, Nick ran that ho- with an iron fist. And I think the time's caught up with him a little bit. And, um, now I think there's been a, a you and a cry for more, you know, more committee power, more, more, uh, autonomy committee chairs, um, easier to get legislation onto the floor, perhaps things like that. So those are the kind of things that, uh, We need to look for, and I'm hoping for the first time that the Republicans join on this. They had they missed an opportunity two years ago to get some rules changed by joining with the progressives, but they were too afraid to do so. And now, hopefully, they'll get on board with some really systematic rules changes that will really decentralize uh, that House floor and the way that legislation gets uh, pushed through. What about that, Lisa?
3: Yeah, you know, I hope to see that too. You know, I've been watching Ciccari for a number of years now, since you know, actually the speaker almost lost, you know, four years ago, and he's been a very quiet um, leader, um, supportive of Nick Mattialo, uh, but no, he not making any enemies. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing what his leadership will bring. You know, as what, what you said, Mike, about working with the governor. You know, let's see what happens. What we need more than ever is to get the economy going in Rhode Island. I think the COVID crisis has really shown us how we've had some weaknesses in our economy, in the industries, in the service industry, and tur- tourism that we have here, that we really need to, you know, build up our economy and help Rhode Islanders going forward. So if he can work with the governor and make that happen in the next couple of years, that'd be terrific.
2: Yeah, the big challenge is going to be money, as we all know, and having to do two budgets in one year. I don't know who wants to be Speaker. I mean, I, I know that everybody in the House, known as the House of Ambition, everybody wants to be Speaker, usually, but I'll tell you, there's going to be some tough times ahead and some really, really harsh decisions to make. But I agree with Mike that uh, Blazajewski, smart kid, he's a Cumberland native, uh, went to Harvard undergraduate, Harvard Law School. He is very progressive, very liberal. He represents a district anchored by Fox Point on the east side, once an ethnic Portuguese uh, neighborhood, now yuppie central. And I think that you're really have somebody who can get along with people. We all know that Joe Secchi is not as sharp elbowed as Nick Mattiello was. The one thing here I haven't seen yet is uh, women. I think there's more women in the house now than there ever has been. And I wonder what they're gonna do to elevate some more women into leadership.
0: Well, and that may be the uh, that may be the the olive branch that he throws out, Scott. I was thinking as you were going over his educational credentials, you like to say just because you're a Rhodes Scholar doesn't mean you're a Rhode Island Scholar. It sounds like uh, Chris could be both in this case.
2: Yeah, I think he is, and I think he understands how the world works up there. The only thing about him is he's known to have a very busy law practice, and you know he's going to he's got a young family, and he's going to have to. Uh, find some time to put that on hold. I mean, Mike knows that the one thing about the State House, you can get sucked into the vortex up there. I used to call it the Bermuda Triangle of Rhode Island politics. Uh, And sometimes your personal life, your uh, financial life or your law practice Gets put on hold, and so that's going to be a challenge, I think, for Blazewski.
1: Absolutely. The, the other good thing, thing, from from a from a democratic perspective, they co- both come from safe districts. Nick wasn't necessarily a safe district, and he was a more conservative district than than the many many members of that house. So they got a little bit more time. Joke, you know, from Warwick, and and Chris from the East Side, uh, you know, they're, they're they've got safe Democratic districts, but I think that they'll be able to make some more tougher decisions that Nick maybe wasn't able to make as speaker. So this,
0: this year, unlike ten years ago, the uh, the uh, uh, proposal to remove the name Providence Plantations uh, passed relatively easily. At least I was thinking about this when we had Keith Stokes on for the first time on Lively. You were with us. And he talked about 10 years ago that he and his daughters went actually to testify against that bill. You would think that was kind of ironic. But he said, you know, just just removing the name is, I mean, it's a good start. It's a nice symbol. But what does that really mean? And so the larger thing is, and I think a lot of people voted against it just on principle. It really doesn't mean plantations. I understand why it needed to be passed. But I think going forward, what does this really mean for Rhode Island, particularly with the racial inequity?
3: You know, I was one of the people, you know, a number of years ago, I voted against it because I really like the tradition of our state. I liked the, our name of it. I understood the history of it. But so much has happened this year, you know, starting with, you know, George Floyd's murder in, in Minnesota and the other people of color who've lost their lives, you know, involved in, you know, law enforcement. Um, I think it was just, you know, it was a perfect storm of why this needed to be done this year. Now, and I've also, I voted for it because I wanted to get it, the symbolic victory in hand. Now let's really get to the hard work of what needs to be done, you know, to work with our people of color in Rhode Island in terms of housing and education, having more representation at the General Assembly. Wouldn't it be great if we had more representation in our congressional delegation and our general officers? But I thought, you know, let's, you know, let's move on now. Mm.
2: Scott? Yeah, that makes sense to me. I thought that's what's going to happen. However, those of us who've lived here or were born in Lyon or like a lot of us, Rhode Islanders, still gonna call, hey, it's Rhode Island. <laughs> but we'll still, Rhode Island, where are you from? Rhode Island, you know, we're still gonna mispronounce the state's name. <laughs> I'm sure of that in our local patois. But no, it was time, it was a relic of a time past. What was remarkable was the turnaround in 10 years from 78% a really emphatic no to a fifty-three forty-seven 47 victory.
1: Yeah, I, I think it was a, an interesting vote. The people got to decide and, you know, I don't want to uh, make them say, you know, equivalents, but there are things like the line item veto that maybe need to be voted by the voters, uh, you know, uh, for constitutional amendments too. So, you know, we when we have the, you know, momentum behind it, I think we should use it. I think this is an opportunity. Um, Again, I don't think it's going to change much. Again, most people refer to the state of Rhode Island. I never said Providence Plantations. It was nice to have that little Providence Plantations, but you know, on formal documents. If, but you know, I think it is time to move on and let's get it. You know, the, the state I was there when we voted for that first bond uh, for the for the first referendum to put it on the ballot, and it went down um, flying colors. Ten years later, it just tells you that our state is getting more diverse. Uh, uh, we have more people of color and they're getting into leadership positions and whatnot, and it's just—it's it's just a natural progression of how what our what our what the state and the country is going to look. We're not as white as we used to be. It's just yeah. that demographics are demographics, and it's just going to continue on that trend. It really is a sign of the times.
0: Okay, let's shift to national again. We are taping this on a Thursday morning. I know things are evolving, so if you're watching this Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, a lot may have changed. I think one thing that's clear is. Even if a winner is declared between, you know, you're watching this, I think there will probably be challenges whether they're going to go forward. Scotty, let me let me um, talk to you about this. The pollsters got it wrong again. We thought there was going to be this bleak blue wave at this snapshot in time. It looks like Joe Biden has the easier path or the or the straighter path to victory. Um But I wonder what happened. You know, he was supposed to have this great lead, uh, maybe not so much in the swing states. You know, do we need to rethink how we do polling, if at all?
2: Well, obviously that's something the polling industry has to look at. I think what we have to do is find a way to deal with the electoral college, and you're not gonna get rid of it. But what I would do is do what Nebraska and Maine do. I would allocate electoral delegates, electors they're called, uh, by congressional district. And then the winner take all, you'd get the two seats you have in the Senate. It would make it more equal, make the campaigns better, you would have people going to different states. It wouldn't come down to just traveling to five or six swing states because red states, frankly, you know, have blue areas. You look at a place like Georgia where the rural areas are very red and Atlanta, metro, very blue. Even here in Rhode Island, if you take a look at the vote, the way that it's sugared off on Tuesday, you see that all of the rural parts of Rhode Island, the very white, rural parts of Rhode Island, where Mike's from, situate, the Coventries, the Foster Gloucester, as Salty used to say, and all of the areas that touch the Bay, the more affluent communities and the larger cities all went for Biden, and all of the rural areas closer to Connecticut, the Hopkinton, that area, 12 communities in Rhode Island, uh, voted for Trump. So we are split. What this shows us simply is that our society is riven along racial, gender, ethnic, uh, class, economic, and educational lines. And it's kind of sad, I think Biden has done one thing uh, by cribbing that great line from uh, you know, his guy there, Barack Obama, who at the 2004 Democratic Convention said, we're not red America, we're not blue America, we're the United States of America. And I think Biden, if he does pull this off, is gonna try to use some more unifying rhetoric uh, rather than the tweet storms that we've seen for the last four years.
0: You know, I thought it was interesting. I watched his um, press conference or whatever he did, little statement, and he began, Lisa, yesterday already. He said, my fellow Americans, and it almost felt like he was in the Oval Office already. I know he was walking that line between not wanting to declare, but I wonder if Biden does get it, how the tone changes? Because a lot of people, as much as the Trump people like the chaos, I think a lot of people have been tired of the chaos from the White House.
3: It's been a very exhausting four years. You know, we've been having, since the day after the election four years ago, there was a widespread um, revolt, not wanting even um, Donald Trump to be sworn in to be president. So for the past four years, it's been a lot of tension from back and forth, a lot of things that the president has caused himself, Um, But a lot of people just, you know, waiting for the next time um, to come forward. And I know Joe Biden yesterday, you know, he reiterated, we don't have red states, we don't have blue states. When I'm president, we will be the United States. So I think that's been a very strong talking point for Joe Biden, a reason why a number of people um, voted for him, because they do believe that our country needs to be healed, and they wouldn't feel that way if Donald Trump had a number of four years. But going to your original, what you said about the, um, the polling... You know, I saw the polls go, leading up in the, in the battleground states, and I think the problem is the pollsters are not going where the Trump voters are, or the Trump voters are not willing to talk to pollsters because here we go again of, of having not accuracy where we should have more accuracy with polling. So I think you know, it has to be the surprise of the strong Trump voters that still exist having to figure out where they are and how make sure you're polling them in the future. But there's something
2: deeper here. Think about this. Since 1992, every presidential election, the only once have Republicans won with a majority of the popular vote. And polling is not all that inaccurate when it comes to the popular vote, which is what polls measure and what pollsters measure. They're just a snapshot in time, but they really Don't measure the Electoral College, and that's how we all know. That's how we choose presidents, and that's what is a real problem here. Uh, Some of the state polls were obviously way off, Uh, Wisconsin. Some of those in Iowa. You look at just ridiculous. You know, Gallup polling stopped doing presidential polling uh, a couple of cycles ago because they just got sick of it and thought it was tainting their brand. But no, this is right. There's a problem in the waiting uh, maybe some people are so turned off they don't want to talk to pollsters. It's hard to call people uh, with different technologies. It's hard to get young people. There's no landlines anymore. It's a much more difficult business than it used to be, and certainly doesn't appear to be as accurate.
1: And I also think that Trump voters, by their very nature, uh, you know, are are uh, not in favor of you know government type things, and they don't want to give their opinion, and they don't want to you know they want to keep it private and whatnot. I think there, you know, I think there was an exhaustion out there. I mean, even though they had, he had a core base of support, from my perspective, you know, he, he never really tried to grow that. He never tried to really grow that support. And I, but he did turn out more voters, more, you know, more people were more ardently for him. So it's, it's very, it's very interesting. Um, but, you know, who knows? I uh, think Wisconsin was way off the 10% with Biden going ahead and down to 25000 25,000 votes. So, um, you know, at the end, the most important thing from my perspective is no matter what the poll says, the most important poll is the election day poll. And let, let's just count all the votes. You know, you can't be in Pennsylvania trying to stop the vote and, and Nevada saying, let, let's count more votes. It's just, you know, let's just let it, let's just play it out, just play it out.
0: Yeah, let's, uh, let's do outrages and then we may do a little bit more on the national. Lisa, do you have an outrage or a kudo this week?
3: Um, I, I have one of each and I'll, I'll make it quick. My kudos is to the General Assembly for allowing early voting to happen this year. This is something that we've been talking about for a number of years. I remember I was working with Sue Stenhouse with her 2006 Secretary of State campaign wanting early voting and it took all this year. So I think that added to the number of voter turnout, the strong voter turnout here in Rhode Island. So I was very happy with that. And my outrage or disappointment is again with the Providence Journal to pick up the newspaper yesterday, the day after the election, and to have them say that because of their deadline of putting the paper to bed, that there wouldn't be any election results in it. I just thought, oh, here we go again. You know, what a missed opportunity for, you know, our newspaper of record not to have that the day after the election. Mm. Mike,
1: what do you have? My kudos is really just goes out to all those election workers in every precinct across the country, including in Rhode Island, who have working day and night to try to make sure we get this right. They're really not—you know, these are good government workers, volunteers in many cases, trying to do it right. And to just—you know—we just need to relax and you know, let's let's stop the tweets and stop the you know, stop banging on the glass windows and saying stop the count or you know, let's you know keep the count going depending. Let's just let, let the process play out. But we do a whole. There are a lot of people who make elections work. And uh, we, need, we, we need to give them a, a big kudos because, you know, this is stressful for them as well. And uh, uh, and so I, I really just, you know, I, I'm a solicitor in two towns in Rhode Island, and I, I see how hard these people have been working for the last basically three weeks to make sure we get it right and give everyone the opportunity to vote. And I do agree with Lisa. I hope that uh, early voting is here to stay. I think two weeks is a little bit longer than we need, maybe a week, but in, in week including a weekend. But um, I think... I think we learned a lesson that uh, people like to vote. Again, elections are not about the ease of the candidate. It's about the ease of the voters to express their will. We should make it as easier as possible. And I think that people, because of the busy lives that we lead, you know, ha- having an election only on a Tuesday, it doesn't really fit in with the modern age of America in 2020.
0: Yeah, we had Nick Lima on uh, the director of elections in Cranston. What a night he had. He He said something very interesting at the end of our interview last week. He said, we will never vote the way we did again from 2018 or 2016.
2: This election has changed that forever. Scotty, what do you have? Well, again, it's a pretty easy one here. Uh, the president going on his rant about stopping the count and this, get this to the Supreme Court, thinking that because he appointed uh, justices to the Supreme Court that they owe him something. It's an independent part of our government, uh, judiciary, it's supposed to be independent. And I don't think John Roberts appreciated that at all, that the president's out there, you know, taking for granted that once he gets whatever beef he has about the election into the Supreme Court, that they're going to rubber stamp whatever he wants or that they should be expected to.
0: Yeah. And, and especially uh, Amy Coney Barrett, too. I mean, what a, you know, last thing she wants to be is quid pro quo. Hopefully it'll never get up that way. We just have a couple of minutes left. Lisa, I thought uh, it was interesting, Joe Biden. The other thing he said in his comments was, just because you're my opponent doesn't mean you're my enemy. And I think there's a lot of repair that has to be done. Again, if Joe Biden wins, we think that's going to be the path. But I wonder what you see to be able to reach across the aisle. Because right now, we only have about a minute left. It it looks like the Senate is probably going to stay Republican. So that there, you know, what work is going to get done in the next two years?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, he spent all those years in the Senate, so he knows so many of the you know, the you know the senators from his time, and never mind, you know, his time as um, Vice President. So <clears throat> excuse me. So I do expect him to be able to reach out. And, and work and put his hand down and actually get something done. I do hope the Senate does stay Republican just so we have some balance, but I do see him being able to work with them.
0: All right, folks, that is all the time we have today. And listen, if you don't catch Lively on Friday or on Sunday at noon, those are our regular times, there are any number of ways you can get us. You can now go to our station website ripbs slash lively we have all of the uh episodes that we put on we put up an extra bonus edition occasionally if we have more to talk about you can catch us on social media, Facebook and Twitter, and you can catch us on your favorite podcast. So take us with you, as I like to say, put Lively in your, uh, in your pocket as you go. Lisa and Scott and Mike, thank you. Maybe we'll have a president by this time next week, but thank you. Uh, we appreciate your joining us. And folks, we, uh, we appreciate you being along for the ride. Come back here next week as a Lively Experiment continues.
2: experiment is generously underwritten by
1: for more than 30 years a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face rhode islanders i'm
3: john hazen white jr and i'm proud to support this great program and rhode island pbs